Hello, this is Sean Glaze. I use they them pronouns and I am the Chief Consulting Officer for Inclusive Data. And welcome. Today we are going to be talking about conflict resolution just after this break. Welcome back. And so I'm really excited about today's topic because we're going to be talking about conflict resolution. Conflict, y'all, it's normal, it's expected, and it's even celebrated when we're doing innovative work. Let's talk about it. Uh, again, I am Sean Glaze. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm the Chief Consulting Officer for Inclusive Data. We are a consulting firm that has gotten over $10 million in under a year for Black nonprofits and Black small businesses in grants. That's right, over $10 million in grants. And we really specialize in a collaborative approach, which means people working together. And for those of you who work with other people, you know that it's not always easy. Uh, conflict resolution is one of the most important um, techniques, strategies, tools, whatever you want to call it. Uh, one of the most important things you need to do in order to have effective teams that are getting these millions of dollars. And it's also helpful to really undo the decades, if not centuries, of intergenerational harm that has been done by our communities as a result of things like white supremacy, colonialism, and other isms that have really pushed us apart from each other. Today, we're going to be talking about what it means specifically for Black folks. Uh, and if you are not Black, but you work with Black people, I anticipate that a lot of these things will be helpful for you as well. There is nothing unique to Black people when it comes to uh, conflict. Every community has it. Uh, but what is unique is the ways in which racism, anti-Blackness, colonialism, and other uh, really important sources of, of oppression have targeted our communities. And as a Black, queer, non-binary person, I can tell you that I think about this often and about what I can do and what my communities can do to really address this directly head on because that's how I like to roll. So let's get started. Um, just a couple of points of context for people who are new to these conversations. As Black people, we've been coerced into competition with each other. We've really been forced apart from each other, whether it is um, continental changes, like our people being stolen and forced into new lands, whether it is families being fractured and separated um, after the Middle Passage, whether it is the ongoing ways in which we are pus pushed out through gentrification and other efforts to really separate us from our land, from our peoples, from our languages, etc. All of that trauma, all of that harm has ripple effects including on our relationships with each other. Um, we end up hurting each other in very unique and specific ways that are directly connected to the ways in which we're harmed too. We can choose healing, we can choose collaboration, and making that choice doesn't somehow magically undo all of that work, all of that trauma that has been directed at us. Um, 
as leaders, as people who are interested in creating a better world, we have now this new responsibility to be accountable, to be accountable to that reality. Um, we can help by really honing our skills in this area and by creating context where other people can talk to each other about these things as well. So what does all of that mean? It means that, hey, we can really look at examples of what works. We can create opportunities to talk about what we need to do. We can actually create the change we need to see in our communities. We don't have to just assume that, well, that's the way it is and keep moving forward. We can really address this and create new futures, uh, healing futures, um, successful futures with each other. So with that said, I want to go over a couple of the things we're going to talk about uh, today. Today, we're going to be looking at examples and techniques. We're going to be looking at scenarios about how to resolve conflict. We're going to talk about um, what might work best in a given situation. And so I really will be giving you examples that are based on uh, conversations that I've helped facilitate or have participated in in some way. Not always as like the hero in the story, let me just say that. <laughs> we'll also be talking about um, using techniques, um, some of which you may have heard of before, like active listening, and some may be new, like principled negotiation. And then finally, we're going to be talking about best practices and ideas for keeping it pushing. How do we keep it moving in our communities? How do we be authentic with each other? And how do we get stuff done? So let's talk. All right, y'all. So um, this is a really good one to have your notebooks out for. Uh, I am covering a lot of this in our signature class. Grant Slayer Academy. That is our $10 million grant playbook for how we were able to get over $10 million in grants for Black nonprofits and Black small businesses. In fact, if you're listening to this, you may actually be in our class, Grant Slayer Academy, um, with other folks who are learning how to get grants without having to write them themselves, how to attract funders, you know, how to really... Um, uh, write and create irresistible proposals and how to get grants without having to write proposals. Did I mention that? So uh, yeah, if that's you, kudos to you for being in the class. Um, if you are not in the class, you will want to check out our website. Again, I am Inclusive Data Solutions Chief Consulting Officer, but you can check out Inclusive Data on social media. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just about Twitter, any platform, check out the handle inclusive data. Uh, so uh, check that out. When I started my grant journey, um, which was well over 10 years ago now, when I started apprenticing under a great grant writer, uh, what I learned was that um, a lot of getting grants really is down to a science. It's a little bit art, but it's mostly science and learning how to do what works best. What I have added to my toolkit over the years, though, it has been a huge focus on collaboration, um, in part because collaborative grant proposals are something a lot of grant professionals shy away from. It's uh, complex. It requires being skilled at navigating relationships and not all grant writers learn those skills. Um, 
But for me, I have a master's in family therapy. I'm also the oldest of five children uh, to a, a single mom, or at least a mom who was sick single for most of my life. And so I kind of have honed a unique skill set related to conflict resolution. Not always successfully, uh, my siblings will tell you, um, but it has been something that's worked well for me. So I am sharing with you um, a good mix of lived experience as well as um, some academic and professional expertise about how to do this. Today, we're going to talk about what causes conflict. We're going to talk about how to really make sure we're being honest and clarifying our expectations and perceptions. You may be surprised to learn that a lot of conflict really boils down to those three key pieces, that honesty, uh, talking about expectations, and talking about perceptions. We're also going to talk about how to take appropriate action. So it's not always the case that collaboration is going to be your best way of resolving a conflict. We'll talk about um, six key ways of resolving conflict, or at least addressing conflict or taking action. We'll talk about working together and using techniques like principled negotiation. That's huge. Learning a, a new um, skill set is really going to uh, add more tools to your toolbox as you try to implement this in your community, as you work to implement this in your community. And we're also going to discuss trust issues, uh, and we're going to talk about creating guidelines um, for behaviors and next steps. So that's a lot. So hopefully by now you'll have gotten out your notebook because we are just gonna get really into it, y'all. Um, let's start by talking about the cause of conflict. Now, I wanna really say there are typically, you know, just a, a few key causes of conflict. Some of them are gonna sound familiar. Um, and each person handle each person handles conflict differently, each community handles conflict differently. Um, but hopefully this will this will sound familiar. One of the most common causes of conflict um, is change. Anytime you change something, you always got somebody who kind of likes things the way they were before. Um, I will give you a couple of key examples for uh, what change looks like. It could be a new teammate. It could be a new, um, uh, what do you call it, organizing platform. It could be a new software. It could be a new pandemic, hopefully not, but <laughs> all of those things can cause conflict. So definitely uh, change. The second thing is unmet expectations. We'll talk a lot about this one today. Unmet expectations. Usually it's like somebody made an assumption, right? Uh, people were making assumptions and then those assumptions weren't met. Um, that leads to a loss of trust because people um, really base a lot of their trust on what they assume or perceive to be true. So unmet expectations could be a cause of conflict. Um, perceptions of unfairness, right? When we think we've been slighted or looked over, when we think someone um, got a reward that they didn't deserve, when we uh, really understand structural oppression and we see it in front of our faces, you know, like all of those things can cause conflict. And then another one, and you'll see this described this way, I like to reframe it differently. 
Um, but uh, the way that a lot of writing talks about it is called, quote unquote, unmanaged diversity. Uh, the way I like to think about it is just like, it's not really that the diversity is unmanaged. Rather, it is just like people bring with them these ideas about what it means to work together. These like scripts, these patterns, these ideas about each other. Again, this gets back to assumptions. And then from there, we operate out of those patterns. And sometimes they serve us and sometimes they don't. So if you have a, a pattern where let's, let's, let's pick a gendered one. Let's say there's a pattern that people just throw out their ideas like um, because they're very used to being taken seriously. And this is really common when you have a, say, predominantly male environment where people, you know, are used to having their ideas respected. And then you have someone who enters who's not male and who's offering their ideas. And it just feels like they're being overpowered powered in that situation because they suggest an idea and then other people like pile on their own ideas and there's no acknowledgement right of that person's contribution um i've actually seen this happen more often than not when working with intergenerational contexts. so like if you're working with like elders and youth um there are all these uh wonderful things that can happen when you bring elders and youth together uh, and one of the things that can be hard are these sort of like age-based or generation-based assumptions about what it means to uh, communicate respect, what it means to um, communicate, set, and enforce boundaries. Like those are things that tend to shift over time. And if you don't talk about it, then what happens is both the elders and the youth can feel disrespected. And so you really need to make sure that when you are thinking about a cause of conflict, it's not necessarily the case that it's the change that is causing the issues. Sometimes it is about um, not really being uh, transparent and talking about what it means to create a diverse team and a diverse team that's doing its best work. A diverse team where people can bring their full selves. A diverse team where people can be truly celebrated for their unique contributions. So those are some really common causes of conflict. One thing that I really want to point out to y'all is that when we think about starting to really get at what causes conflict, we have to be honest and we are definitely encouraged to be gentle. Um, Honest and gentle, I think, are two things that are not at odds with each other. Uh, the good news is, for a lot of Black community, people from the African diaspora, we generally prioritize honesty over just about everything else, right? We often prioritize honesty over politeness. We uh, prioritize honesty over many things like other things, honesty above all else. And so what that means is for a lot of Black community members who are dealing with conflict, when people can be honest and is when they can be real, and when they can be real is when they can be effective. So for those of you who are listening and you're just like, ooh, honesty, you know, what does that look like? Uh, that looks like clarifying your expectations and your explanations of what's going on. 
So when we think about our expectations of what needs to happen, um, we want to make sure we're talking about everything very detailed, the who, what, when, where, how, why of the situation. Uh, and we want to do that every time we're about to start something new. So starting a new project or starting a new phase. Let me give you an example, right? So when I think about my uh, consulting work, usually we have a kickoff. It's one of the first things that we do. And we talk about our communication preferences. We talk about who people are going to communicate, how they're going to do it. Is it going to be email? Is it going to be phone? When, you know, are we available 24 seven? Do we have office hours that we observe? You know, um, why, you know, like, are we communicating about project updates, et cetera? So all of those things really, you know, help um, make sure that we're all on the same page. Let me give you some examples from collaborative grants that I've worked on. So um, when partners are new, they may not have enough context with each other to know exactly how they're gonna fit together. Um, so we still schedule kickoffs, right? With all of the parties involved, even if it's a very large team. And we say, okay, how are we gonna make decisions together? Usually people wanna make decisions in a meeting right? They want to really use the meeting for making decisions and use emails for like coordinating offline. That's pretty typical in my communities. Some people, they prefer to meet in person as long as it's safe to do so. Other people prefer um, phone calls and that's great too. So we really want to say like, okay, who is going to be the one who's mostly facilitating this? Right. Like at the end of the day, it's helpful to know who's on point. Right. Who's the lead that can change, you know, month to month or it can change project to project. But we all want to be clear on like if we don't meet, whose fault is it <laughs> if we didn't get our notes? Like, right. If we didn't um, if we don't meet that grant deadline, whose fault? You know, is it going to be all of ours? Sure. But really, who's going to be holding this down? And so we want to get clarity on that. We want to know like how they're going to communicate to the team. We want to know when we're going to meet up together. Are we meeting every week? And what are we going to talk about? Make sure that you are being really clear about your explanations of that. You're also going to be clear about your explanations of when things don't happen. Um, you know, when that conflict is. So say that your team um, is feeling frustrated, right? Because they feel like things aren't moving fast enough. That's super common because usually what happens in a collaborative proposal is you have some teams that are raring to go, right? They got all their paperwork. They turned in all their stuff. Like they, they are on top of it. And then other people, either because they're overwhelmed or they have other priorities, they need more time, right? They need more time to get stuff together. And so what ends up happening is the people who get their stuff done quickly can end up resenting the people who are slower. The people who are slower can end up resenting, feeling pressured by the people who are faster. And then you start to have this conflict where people are being passive aggressive or they're starting to get on each other's nerves 
um, they're starting to make snide comments, right? Like you start to have this communication breakdown. And so the people who are really fast might, um, might be communicating very frequently. Hey, what's up with this? What's the status? What's going on, right? The people who are really slow feel really like nagged, right? And really like heckled and like they're not being taken seriously or being extended professional courtesy. Um, they can get resentful too. And they can even start slowing down more because they don't like to be bossed around, right? And so really easily things can get out of hand because you have this mismatch of assumptions, right? You have this mismatch in terms of the communication styles. And then before you know it, you have an issue where it's getting harder and harder to meet deadlines just because there's this conflict that's not being addressed. Now in a little bit, we'll be talking about how to address that but like this is such a common issue that um, i want to make sure y'all are able to see it as conflict because we might see it as conflict when people are making snide remarks but we actually started getting clues about this conflict before it was even verbalized when we started to notice that like some people were faster and some people were slower and that energetically people were upset and anxious about whether or not we were going to meet that that deadline so as a leader as someone who is supporting this work our job is to see conflict and to name it and to address it and we can't wait until people are like you know things are out of hand so that's a really easy example um, about uh, what conflict could look like it's also an example of why it's important to be honest and why it's important to be gentle when we're dealing with it. Because if you as the leader are not being honest about the fact that there's conflict, what's gonna happen is like, you're going to wait too late to address it because you're going to just kind of let it play out. You're also gonna be um, less effective um, and getting people to respond quickly when you let things get out of hand. One exercise I want to talk about um, here when we're talking about being honesty and clear, being honesty, being honest and clarifying expectations and just being like um, thinking about honesty and gentleness is the need to really think about perceptions. There's actually um, an exercise here that I want to share with y'all. This exercise is called image exchanging. So image exchanging exercise is when we talk about our self perceptions as well as our perceptions of other people, right? I'm going to keep on this example of you have these, these two groups, right, that are talking about, oops, sorry, uh, we have these two groups that are doing this work, one that's really fast and one that's really slow. Now, um, our image exchanging exercise is going to get people to explain their perceptions of themselves and then get other people to explain, get other people to explain their perceptions of that person or group. So it really helps close, what your goal is as the leader is to help close the gap between people's self-perceptions and others' perceptions of them. Right, we wanna close that gap between how people see themselves and how other people see them. Let me give you um, an example of what that looks like. So we've got our very fast people and our very slow people. 
And by the way, I'm using this as an example in part because there's a really common phrase uh, that we hear a lot that talks about moving at the speed of trust. And sometimes that phrase is used in really liberatory ways and ways that help us get free because it fights against those oppressive, you know, white supremacist timelines and ways of doing things. It really encourages us to build relationships and really prioritize that above all else. Um, I will say sometimes that phrase is weaponized in ways that really set back movements. And so we have to use discernment, right? We have to use our own thinking about when that phrase is going to help us get where we need to go and when that phrase is going to be holding us back. So in this example, I have a group that is moving very fast and a group that's moving very slow on this collaborative proposal. If I were to ask, uh, let's make it individual focused. If I were to ask a member of the FAST team, uh, you know, to describe themselves, they may say something like, um, oh, you know, I just really am very organized. Um, I love, you know, making sure that we get stuff in early. I feel like that really helps um, us to work in a good professional context. And, you know, I really um, value just timeliness, right? And so they are sharing with you their perceptions, right? And they're also communicating some of their values, um, professionalism, you know, um, timeliness, you know, getting things done early, right? Um, if you ask other people how they perceive that person, they might say, well, I perceive them as being really bossy. I perceive them as thinking they know better than everybody else, right? I perceive them as being really inflexible. And so being able to look at that gap, right, between how that person sees themselves and how other people see them and have an honest dialogue about that can really help people understand where each other are coming from. Now I'll take the slower people, right? So if you're asked the slower people, you know, what, you know, how they perceive themselves, ask, you know, an individual person, they might say something like, wow, you know, I really prioritize, you know, relationship building. Um, I really prioritize making sure uh, that we have the time to double, triple check things before we turn it in. Um, and I really want to prioritize um, creating space for people to bring new ideas, you know, you know, and so those are the three things that I see myself. Uh, and you're like, well, that's really great, uh, right? Like both of those things are great. The, the fast and the slow person, self-perceptions are great. How do other people perceive the slow person? Like, well, I feel like they wait to the last minute. I feel like maybe they don't take things seriously. I feel like, like maybe they're a little lazy, <laughs> procrastinators. Um, and so like you have that gap, right, between that self-perception and uh, how others perceive you. And again, having an open, honest dialogue about that can be really helpful so people understand how they're coming off and understand like where the other person's coming from. The goal from image exchanging isn't to come up with the right answer for like what's going on, but rather to get people really accustomed to putting themselves in each other's shoes and understand where we're all coming from. That's gonna be really important when we start talking about how to um, address conflict because if people don't understand where each other are coming from, 
we won't necessarily be able to effectively address the root causes of conflict. If we're not able to have conversations that are even like a little deep like that, then it's going to be hard to have like the really heavy hitting conversations later. So the image exchanging exercise is something that I really want to make sure you all get a chance to do. Okay, so let's recap. We talked about causes of conflict, things like unmet expectations, perceptions of unfairness, you know, change, not understanding the diversity dynamics at play. We've also talked about the importance of being honest and being gentle while we are clarifying explanations and expectations. And we gave a concrete example of image exchanging as a way to try to really dig into that a little bit more. So, and it is, it can be incredibly effective. Um, make sure that if, as a leader, when you're setting that up, you let people know what the goals are. So you don't just say, hey, let's do some self-reflection. You say, hey, you know, we are going to be seeking out conflict as part of our work together because we know that when we can heal, when we can really um, address conflict and resolve it, the root causes, we're going to be able to really innovate and create the world we want to see. So the goal for today is for us to start doing some of that by doing an exercise called image exchanging, where we look at our self-perceptions and how other people see us, and then really uh, talk about that gap. Your goal is to be as honest as you can be, as well as gentle with each other, because we care about each other. And while you be honest and gentle, I'll be taking down some notes, and then we'll talk about next steps. That's how you as a leader set up, frame, and facilitate an exercise like image exchanging. And that is going to help your team get used to having those deeper conversations. It also creates just enough of a container where people can practice something new without necessarily uh, making it feel like it's going to be on them to know what to do with it next. You're taking responsibility for that exercise, which means that if things do start to go in a direction that aren't good or safe or right for the group, you're going to be the one responsible for stepping in and saying, okay, I know I'm the one that suggested this idea. I still think this is important. And I want to make sure that we are on track for addressing this conflict in a way that's like going to help us read our, reach our goals. Let's try and then, you know, you can pivot from there. All right, let's talk about taking charge, actually. I am creating this uh, resource, uh, this podcast or lesson, whatever you want to call it, um, with the idea that you are interested in uh, taking charge uh, and really helping to create conflict resolution in your organization and in your grant strategy. Taking charge uh, for some organizations and some collaboratives might mean initially allowing people to work things out on their own when conflict comes up. Like it, like usually there's like three key steps. That first step could be allowing those two parties to two, three, however many parties to try on their own first. Um, the second step after that might be to meet privately with them. If you're the facilitator, if you're the leader, if you're someone supporting, you may um, join them in meeting in a small setting. Not everybody all together, right? Not everybody needs to know everything. But really making sure that you're creating a space where people can meet and be supported by you, the leader slash facilitator. 
And then if things still are progressing in a way that is not productive, then you do want to really think about having some type of formal way of dealing with things. Even if it means creating some formal like accountability or discipline or disciplinary uh, practice, like you really want to make sure that there is a uh, next step that people have sort of agreed to and will be um, taking uh, an action. All right. And we'll be talking today a little bit about how to develop that. But I want to make sure that when you're taking when you're really taking charge, when you're really helping more directly, you allow people to first work it out on their own. Second, work it out with a third party. Right. And then third, really go through that formal process. All right. So, y'all, let's talk about the six different ways of addressing conflicts. And I want to say from jump that I'm going to list these in the order of like what's generally most effect, like least effective in the long term to most effective in the long term. Each one of these six steps has a place in conflict resolution which means that you can't always do the most effective thing in the long term. Sometimes you need to make a decision quickly and you just need a short-term solution, right? It doesn't mean it's a worse solution. It just means that like, it's just not gonna help with the long-term solution. You're gonna need to revisit again later in a new way. All right, here are the six different ways you can address conflict. You can avoid conflict, you can force a solution, you can uh, accommodate, you can compromise, you can collaborate, or you can confront. So avoid, force, accommodate, compromise, collaborate, confront. Those are the six. You may be surprised to learn that collaborate isn't like always going to be what's going to lead to that long-term success. And you know what? You'll understand why when we go into details. So avoiding conflict, that can look like retreating. That can look like walking away. Most commonly, it looks like agreeing to disagree. How many of you have been in conflict with somebody and they said, well, we'll just agree to disagree? Hmm? Or they say something like, well, that's just the way it is. And you're thinking, wow, that solves nothing. Well, avoidance can be really helpful when uh, conflict is really heated and people are uh, getting at a point where they're about to maybe cuss each other out, <laughs> yell at each other, uh, harm their relationship with each other. Uh, avoiding the conflict can be the best case scenario there. And uh, the downside of avoidance is it will reappear. That conflict will reappear in the future, just in a different way. So it could be that at first y'all were arguing about timeline and now you're arguing about budget. It could be that y'all were initially arguing about funders and now you're arguing about like the communication plan. It could be a variety of different ways that this looks, but I can tell you that avoidance uh, could be uh, something that people are just used to using to deal with conflict. Sometimes it's cultural. Uh, right now, I'm uh, in Seattle, Washington. There is a strong passive-aggressive culture here, a strong conflict-avoidance culture here. And so uh, moving up here as someone who's from the South and from Texas, we are a very direct people, as many Black people are. 
And so coming here, I was not prepared for the many different ways that people use uh, this avoidance tactic to address conflict. People will even say they agree with you, but like privately not actually agree with you. People will not really want to do something and they'll say that they are down and in actuality they are not down. Like it is, um, you have what is called like a, what's it called? Like it's called a, like a Seattle yes, which is really a no. <laughs> So it could be cultural, geographical, it could be a variety of things, but avoidance is definitely one of six ways to address conflict. The second way is force. You can force a solution. That's when you um, basically make an executive decision about it. You're like, okay, we don't have enough time to deal with this. Here's what's going to happen. And then you just kind of go with it. It creates a win-lose situation. So the person who's making the decision is often winning. The person who had disagreed is often losing. Um, it does have the benefit of keeping a project moving. Uh, the downside is that it can create resentment and that resentment can turn into future conflict, right? That resentment is just conflict waiting to happen. <laughs> so we definitely want to keep that in mind. The third way that we can address conflict is we can accommodate, right? So we can say, hmm, this relationship matters more to me than a particular outcome. So I'll just go ahead and go along with it. Um, it is definitely something that you'll see a lot when there's a big power differential. And so uh, I'll give you a couple of concrete examples here. So let's say there is a large nonprofit that is likely to win most grants that they apply for. And there's a small nonprofit that wants to do something differently. If that um, large nonprofit says, hey, we're just gonna go ahead and do the outreach this way, the small nonprofit might disagree, but they might say, you know what? Like, this isn't really worth it. Um, let's go ahead and just do it your way this time and you know we'll see how it is later um accommodation is more successful in the long run than forcing an issue um where you're just like well we're just going to do it this way um but it's definitely not the most effective long-term solution because this is another place where you may see resentment this is also another place where you may see people have very different assumptions and like a mismatch of expectations that just don't get resolved directly because people aren't talking about like what their reservations are. So these three um, strategies, avoidance, forcing and accommodating, all of those usually require you to are really are, are strong examples of when you might use that take charge approach of like getting people to work things out privately, um, getting them to meet with you maybe after that, and then going through some type of formal process. Like those three things, usually you do wanna have a more like take charge strategy. These next three things, you can have a more collaborative, you know, strategy around. Um, so, next so we did our first three avoidance forcing accommodating the next one is compromising compromising is uh you know uh pretty common to a lot of people 
it is when you have everyone satisfied a little. Like it's it's not quite a win-win. It's not quite a lose-lose, but it's pretty close to a lose-lose, right? Um, basically, um, you can move forward. Um, everyone lost something in that compromise, and uh, and you know people can can feel some kind of way about it. Can feel undecided about it. Um, it is really useful if you have equal power. So if you have equal power between the different parties, then compromise can make a lot of sense for addressing conflict. It can also be useful if you need like a temporary fix. And so you can't really get into all the details and you just need to be able to move forward. Um, uh, compromising can be really effective there. Um, and it's also useful if you have mutually exclusive goals. So, uh, what's some good examples there? So one of you wants to have a very large event. The other one of you wants to have a very small event. And so you compromise and you have a medium event and neither one of you are completely satisfied with that, but each one of you won something in the process. Um, you may also see this same thing when you're negotiating um, rates or when you're negotiating expenses, where one group wants to spend a lot of money, the other group wants to spend a little money, and so you kind of meet in the middle. Um, you may also see this with uh, processes. And so you may say, okay, we have five teams on this grant, um, you know, Team one is going to write the grant and team two is going to review the grant, um, but not write it. So those are mutually exclusive, right? So team one writes the grants and not review. Team two is the opposite. You might uh, instead each devote members of your team to help with the writing and the review or do like a joint Google Doc. Neither one of you really got what you really wanted, but you kind of both, you know, won something at the same time. Um, Compromising is useful um, in that you are actually starting to talk about your expectations and what you want out of it, uh, but it's not the strongest in terms of long-term solutions and conflict resolution. Instead, let's talk about collaboration. Collaboration, so that's when you all generally agree and you all generally benefit. Um, you are coming up with your concerns, they're, all, everyone can voice their opinion, everyone can voice what um, matters to them, and you're combining different insights. And so that's that can be a really good place to be. It's useful if you can't compromise and you need to make a, a decision that works like with general commitments. Um, so if you can't compromise, learning to collaborate and come up with like new solutions based on these new insights can be really helpful. Um, I love collaboration, of course. Uh, that's one of my favorite ways to resolve conflict. Um, it can take longer, right, than coming up with a compromise or just kind of making executive decisions. And so those are some downsides to it. Um, but you aren't necessarily addressing root causes, right, of the conflict. You're, you may be so focused on just creating new solutions that you're not addressing what initially caused the problem. And so that brings us to our last point, which is confront. Confronting conflict is one of the best ways in the long term to deal with conflict because you're really getting at the root. 
you are still examining all the viewpoints at play, but you're really digging in to get some open dialogue and to come up with multiple solutions together. So collaboration, you can like all kind of weigh in and you're all coming up with solutions, but you're not necessarily addressing the conflict itself. Confront deals with the conflict itself. So confronting conflict is when you may come up with a, uh, a plan for how you'll be accountable to each other, a plan for how you'll deal with um, disrupted trust, and a plan for how you can move together um, in reconciliation and even talking about forgiveness and amnesty. So it's really important that we are thinking about, uh, when we think about this work, that we think about confronting the conflict itself. Okay, so that's a lot. We talked about the causes of conflict. We talked about the importance of honesty and gentleness. We uh, did a brief exercise about what that could look like to, uh, to do. And we've even talked about the six different ways of addressing conflict. The next thing I wanna to talk to y'all about is a specific strategy for confronting conflict called principle negotiation. This is when we are searching for win-wins. This is when we are searching for um, ways to really address those root causes and to create spaces where we can dream up new futures together. So I wanna give you a couple of quick rules um, for how to be effective in principle negotiation. And then we can talk about what it looks like. Um, remember, the goal of principal negotiation is to address those root causes, to come up with win-wins, and to make sure that we are um, considering everybody's interest here, including the organization or team. Um, okay, so rule number one, we are gonna work to try to really keep our focus on the issues and to um, avoid focusing too much on the individual people. We want to get at the root cause. People are not root causes, right? Patterns of behaviors or expectations or thoughts or things like that, those are really root causes. Structural oppression is a root cause, right? Sean Glaze is not a root cause. <laughs> so we're going to focus on the, um, the situation at hand, the issue. Second thing is we're always going to try to pick um, thinking about what we really need as being more important than what we say we want. So we're going to be thinking about what we really need as being more important than what we say we want, because sometimes we just don't communicate clearly about what we need. We just tell people what we want and we really need to know what people need in order to move forward with a good solution. The third rule is we're going to propose options for mutual gain or mutual benefit. We're gonna be proposing win-wins. We're gonna be generating a range of possibilities before we make a decision. And then the last one is we are going to really try to create like common standards and criteria, right? That are based on things that we can like pay attention to um, in our community. Some people call it being objective and creating objective standards and criteria. I don't necessarily call it that. I think about it like this. 
we want to have, um, we want to be on the same page about what we consider to be how we're going to deal with conflict. Uh, and we want it to be something that other people can agree upon. So it's usually something you can see, something you can touch, something you can notice, something you can point to. So make sure that those are the four rules that you are engaging in uh, in order to do principled negotiation. All right. So let me take you through this last little bit here as we talk about what that looks like as we restore trust. What I'm about to tell you may feel a little just unfamiliar if you're very used to toxic environments, as so many of us are. Like I said at the beginning, a lot of us are really used to being coerced into competition, to be forced to hurt each other. We're really used to people hurting us and not doing anything about it. We're used to not being protected. We're used to not having um, a system of accountability. Um, and we're used to like having systems that kind of worked in some places and not in others. And what we want to create as leaders, as people doing this work, is spaces where people can really put this um, to practice to restore trust, because trust is fragile. It is something that requires reverence. It is something that requires us to think outside the box. And so let's talk about it. Um, let's talk about what it means to really um, address conflict, even when it's not spoken. I'm going to offer y'all um, three steps for doing principled negotiation. These steps are going to look different for each organization, for each collaboration, for each time, but they will help you start to get used to kind of thinking with this new mindset. Um, the first step is to identify uh, what are trustworthy and untrustworthy behaviors? Do a group exercise where you really get people to write these down, to map them out, to tell stories, to really get specific about it. Uh, usually when people talk about the untrustworthy behaviors, it's stuff like not following through, not being a person of your word, being late, like or like not communicating about what's going on. Um, going above someone's head and like talking behind people's back and all of those things, right? I'm not saying all of those things are examples of untrustworthy behavior. What I'm saying is those are commonly said things. You need to make sure that you find out with your specific group, what your specific community, what those actual people in the room, right, virtual or otherwise, think is trustworthy and what they think is untrustworthy. Y'all need to talk about that because that is going to be part of your underlying principles, right? Get on the same page about that. Number two, you're going to identify an action plan and commitments. Um, this must be satisfying, again, to the people in the room. Everything's going to look different depending on who's in the room. So make sure you get people in the room who can talk to you about what an action plan needs to look like and what commitments need to look like. I strongly encourage, like, as you're thinking about your action plan for managing conflict, especially as it relates to restoring trust, that you really think about amnesty or forgiveness um, and a particular kind of forgiveness. Um, it's really important that there's an opportunity for people to reset 
if they've broken trust, if they have harmed each other, there needs to be a way to say, okay, we're going to forgive the past. We may not forget, but we will forgive the past. and We're going to start with a clean slate. That means that we are not going to hold things above you know, people's heads long-term for something they already did. Like we, we agreed to amnesty and now we're going to look at the future behavior and see what you're going to do. Um, make sure you get verbal agreements from everybody that that is what they're going to follow. Because if you come up with a guideline and not everybody agrees, you don't really have a guideline. You don't really have a space for principal negotiations when y'all don't have an agreement. So make sure that as you develop your action plan and your commitments, you are satisfying everyone that is involved. And then the last thing I'll say related to this is that when trust is broken, you're going to call some team meetings, you're going to you know, bring people together, and you're going to talk about those guidelines. Um, so we talked about identifying the action plan and commitments, but we need to make sure that we have like a full out plan. I told you, we expect conflict to be normal. We anticipate it. We're even running towards it because we know that's going to help us build an innovative world where we are creating real solutions, right? We got all these isms targeting Black folks, targeting our communities. We need something that is going to expect that there will be conflict. <laughs> how could there not be, right? And really address how we're going to do it. So you could say something like, maybe we're going to meet when there's a broken trust and there's going to be a third party to facilitate. Maybe we're going to host healing circles. Maybe we're going to um, have rules like no name calling or um, that we're going to engage in active listening where we're listening to hear the person, not to think about what we're going to say next. It's real hard. Maybe we are um, talking about making formal commitments that we like write down or agree to verbally and everybody knows the commitment maybe we are um, really talking about how to be prepared to trust again because if we are not prepared to trust again then we're not really honoring the spirit of that principal negotiation of like making sure that we are following through with what we said we do so with that said those are my main points y'all um it is these things that help us get a stronger collaboration. It is expecting and leaning into conflict that will really help us as we grow these new skills. And it is something that takes practice. It takes practice to say, let's create an action plan for when we get in conflict with each other. And let's think about how we're going to repair and restore trust after it's been broken. It takes practice to say, I expect that we will fail each other in ways that we had not anticipated. But um, so let's talk about how we're going to heal that and how we're going to move forward. And then let's have the conversation about what happens if we have people who repeatedly violate this, who repeatedly break trust and like push boundaries and aren't acting in good faith. Let's make sure we all have an agreement about what's going to happen next so that we can act on that if need be. And then let's also celebrate the fact that we are doing work that our ancestors have left for us to do. And we are picking that up. We are not running from it. We are running towards it. 
so that we can be good ancestors for future generations. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and start winding us back. Let's do a quick recap of everything we talked about, because it was a lot. Pull out my notes. Uh, we talked about being aware of what causes conflict. We talked about being honest. And we also talked about being clear with our expectations and perceptions of each other. We talked about the importance of taking appropriate action, including pros and cons of six different approaches to address conflict. We um, include discussions about principal negotiations and what that could look like. And we discussed trust issues, um, as well as three key steps to take when you are um, navigating trust issues. And finally, we closed out by talking about the importance of creating um, guidelines for behaviors and how we will move forward after trust has been violated and after uh, dealing with conflict. So I just want to remind y'all, um, unresolved conflict saps our productivity, sure, but it also really limits our ability to dream, to create those innovative solutions for the world we want to see. I have full faith that together we can come up with solutions that'll really get us to where we want to be, that will help us get free. If you have enjoyed this, please let me know. I'm excited to have launched this podcast, uh, Black People Deserve Money Too. You can find that on Spotify and on several other podcasting platforms. And I'm also excited to be sharing this in our class, Grand Slayer Academy, because we talk about things like how do you really build robust teams to go after these millions of dollars in grants. And without these kinds of skills, we'll be creating struggle relationships, which nobody likes struggle relationships. So um, I am honored, delighted always to be sharing space with community as we build better futures together. And I'll close this out this is Sean Glaze. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the Chief Consulting Officer for Inclusive Data. And with that said, I hope y'all enjoy the rest of your day, week, month, year, all the future, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye now.